we as mayors understand the quickest way to create jobs, the quickest way to jumpstart the economy, the quickest way to um, you know, give everyone that sense of confidence that and, and to improve our safety is to invest in infrastructure. Hi, I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and welcome to the Optimistic Outlook. As we've been living through a pandemic, we've been noticing so many things that need to be done in the present moment. And it's easy to get pulled down into the details of just everyday life. And yet, we're relying on a group of leaders to look ahead, to, to look forward across the horizon. And one of the things that Siemens did this year, actually at the end of August, we worked with the Harris Poll and the U.S. Conference of Mayors to do a survey of mayors across the country, asking them how they see the present crisis and what they see as critical ways that they need to be addressing the future. We got a response from over 120 mayors, and today you'll be hearing from one of those, Denver Mayor Michael Hancock, who serves on the U.S. Conference of Mayors as the chair of the Transportation and Communications Committee. You're going to hear a compelling view from Mayor Hancock and learn about his personal leadership. I think you'll be every bit as inspired as I am. Mayor Hancock, I really look forward to talking to you, and I want to get your perspectives on the recent survey we did with the U.S. Conference of Mayors. But first, let's set the stage a little bit with Denver and how you all have been dealing with the COVID crisis. You've said that Denver is at a fork in the road. What do you mean by that? And, and, and what are the key actions you're undertaking right now? Well, Barbara, first of all, it's good to be with you again. And I'll tell you that if you had told me in January that by March we would shut down one of the more uh, thriving, robust uh, local economies in the country, I would have thought you crazy. I mean, it just was you know something that we would not have imagined, but we had to do that. And um, as a reality, uh, we also had to figure this virus out and how we guide the city to a place where we not only get on the other side of the curve, but we flatten it. So around June, uh, late May, early June, we started seeing tremendous progress uh, by our actions regarding, you know, we shut down the economy, uh, social distancing, uh, mask wearing orders, really pushing, pushing people to be more uh, smart about how they sanitize their hands and how they handle their business. And again, most people were at home. Uh, as we went through the summer, we were able to hold that steady. But what we've seen, as you've uh, alluded to in the last few months, a, a, a pretty steady uh, concerning uh, rise in, in our number of cases and our number of hospitalizations and our positivity rate. And um, it, you know, it's, it's a great concern because one, we cannot afford to shut our economy down again um, as we opened up slowly, but with great measure and great thought. Um, and we simply don't want to have more lives lost. And so this is a great, great concern while at the same time we have the, the beginning of the flu season. And so uh, we're greatly concerned and we're gonna have to continue to work hard and everyone else has to get back to the basics on how we uh, get back on the other side of this uh, this virus. At Siemens, we've been working on technologies that would allow uh, residents of buildings to come back with confidence, uh, things that can help us understand the status of buildings, the, the occupancy, the uh, basically the comfort and reliability issues, and, and even the energy use. I'm kind of curious what's happening in the city of Denver. If you have a focus on how to make sure residents are confident and comfortable that their buildings are safe for them to be inhabited? Yeah, I, Barbara, great question. There's a lot uh, to, to discuss there. 
first of all, let's if in terms of people returning back to work, I do believe there will be a new reality as everything settles down. I have heard from a lot of business owners as well as companies, or excuse me, facility owners as well as companies that occupy those buildings. And they believe while they'll be bringing people back to work, it won't be at the level that we were prior to, to COVID. I mean, the reality is that they've realized that their employees are, have become more productive and, and, and that they have the ability, the capacity to work remotely. And so there are two real issues that I think, uh, there are really three that I think will, will impact what happens next. One is, uh, can we do it help in, a, in a safe way? So against the virus, but also you've had our central business districts all over this country become ground zero for demonstrations and people need to feel safe. Their employees need to feel safe coming back down downtown uh, to work. And so as we address all of those things, the next and the third rung of this is technology. Can we continue to work remotely in a safe way against cybersecurity threats, uh, but also remain productive? As, as you and I talked about prior to this uh, broadcast, as people realize that we can get active again, are they able to maintain or sustain that productivity working from home? as they would uh, working from their office. And so I think that's important. What we've done in Denver are, is multi-prong. One, we, we are working to secure and to convince everyone that yes, we will have a safe, if not safer downtown when this is all said and done. Two, we'll give guidance from our public health department to building owners and managers, as well as company owners. This is how you bring back people safely. Thirdly, we're encouraging folks to think strategically about whether or not your employees continue to work from home and to what extent you've got to do kind of a, a rotation. We're doing it here at the city of Denver, but I think it is helpful for us to think that way. One, because it will help, again, our air quality, as we've seen in COVID, improve greatly with the less, least number of people traveling. And so if we got folks who can work from home, it can help with childcare, it can help with stabilizing your workforce and their family life, but also help improve our climate uh, and our air by having a, a, ro a rotation of employees as opposed to everybody uh, rushing back downtown. So we're working to give that guidance while at the same time benchmarking energy use and helping uh, through advisement uh, companies and building uh, owners to do a better job in their use of, uh, of uh, energy. Well, tell us about the critical issues you're facing right now. And now that you have a budget approved for the coming year, what are the ways you're going to have to change your plans going forward? Well, obviously, we've had an economic impact. Uh, Denver is facing between 20 and 21, um, a $227 million economic impact. So we've had to do some serious cuts across our city agencies and our delivery of services. Uh, and so, you know, obviously, we're going to have that impact. We won't be as, uh, uh, you know, have as much robust activities in our community, our city services as we normally would. Although our essential critical services we're gonna be able to maintain, um, things like mowing the parks, uh, you may see not as frequently uh, going forward. But uh, you know, our goal is to maintain our services as best we can as we get through this, but also continuing to push personal responsibility that you know, you know, maintain social distancing, wear your mask. That's why those orders are in place. Don't have large gatherings, avoid them by, by every cost you possibly can and simply be smart and thoughtful, but not only yourself and your family, but for the rest of the public. Yeah, important factors for all of us to consider. And I, I keep thinking of this as the true American spirit, you know, in the spirit of originally barn raises and, you know, taking care of each other in a community. These are the things we can do now. Absolutely. Um, 
Switching gears now to the survey that we conducted together with Siemens and the U.S. Conference of Mayors, administered by the Harris Poll, uh, we had the chance to survey and heard from over 120 mayors across the country. And what we heard from them is a real focus on infrastructure. I'd love to get your personal thoughts about how infrastructure plays in this moment of disruption that we're going through. Wow. You know, Barbara, what we understand is that there isn't an investment uh, more um, uh, uh, deliver greater results faster or have a higher ROI than investment in infrastructure. And mayors understand that. You know, one, we have a crumbling infrastructure. Um, it's some very unsexy stuff, stuff you don't see in terms of underground utilities and, and uh, water lines and water pass, uh, waterways to your surface, uh, above surface type infrastructure, your roads, your sidewalks, so your curbs, your aviation industry is, is woefully um, uh, lacking in terms of modernization and, and upkeep. And so we understand for every million dollars we invest, we get a $2 million return uh, and economic impact. We as mayors understand the quickest way to create jobs, the quickest way to jumpstart the economy, the quickest way to um, you know, give everyone that sense of confidence that and, and to improve our safety is to invest in infrastructure. And so that's why I'm not surprised at all that your results are what they are, because I believe that here in Denver, Colorado, I recognize even during this time, we are making a $170 million economic impact, excuse me, investment in our infrastructure, because in each of our economic slowdowns, what Denver has always done is accelerate our infrastructure investment, and that has helped the economy sustain itself during a recessionary slowdown, but also help uh, propel us as the economy recovers. I look forward to digging more into how you've made that investment, but let's talk about the why a little bit more. I, I'm kind of curious how you view um, the ability of infrastructure to help address issues of equity. We've dealt this year Absolutely. with a healthcare crisis leading to an economic crisis, leading to uncovering some social inequities within our overall society. Can yeah. infrastructure really help? Yeah, it can, actually. One is, again, we go back to the fact that economic, uh, that jobs are created through these infrastructure investment efforts, right? So if you, for every, again, every time you invest, you create jobs. Uh, if we're investing $170 million and we take the average of, of, uh, of each job about $90,000, and there you go, you may create as many as uh, 1,700 jobs uh, in this situation. The city of Denver will invest through $170 million investment uh, roughly 17 to 1800 jobs uh, through this investment. And that is critically important. What we get a chance to do is to focus on job training opportunities and to do a first source employment opportunity for those who are in those neighborhoods, those who are gonna be impacted by the construction, but also those who will benefit from it being the first ones for training, but also for placement in those jobs. Those are the type of things we built into the agreements um, with these construction companies or with our infrastructure uh, uh, companies that we're contractors that we're working with. So it's extremely important that we understand that we can invest in underserved, um, challenged neighborhoods, at the same time, lift individuals up by providing not only training, but employment opportunities for not only today, for these projects, but for a lifetime. So you can make a difference while also improving those neighborhoods. I am not from the school that if you improve neighborhoods, you displace folks. You do not have to be in that in either or scenario you really can invest 
if you are aware of how that investment might impact the neighborhood and make sure you build safeguards as you go into investing those neighborhoods. So being intentional about what the goals are as and, and thinking about the multiple ways we can actually lift up those communities. That's that's inspiring, I, but but how do we pay for it? And I I know that there's you know a lot of question with tax revenues down as you've said. Um, a, a lot of people are concerned about where will the money come from. But Denver has always been innovative about the way it's funded large um, infrastructure projects, especially transportation infrastructure. And I understand right now you're focused in on uh, bonds in order to finance your future. Tell us about your strategy. Well, we were fortunate that in 2017. Uh, the people of Denver authorized the largest bond issuance in its history at $954 million. And so when I say $170 million infrastructure investment, we have the ability to either pause that infrastructure investment during this economic slowdown or to accelerate it or just, you know, business as usual. What we've chosen to do is to follow the path of previous administrations and you accelerate during this time um, because you want to make sure you kind of sustain uh, those efforts. And so we, we're issuing $170 million of that 954 to accelerate infrastructure investment, thereby keeping some companies working, design companies working, construction companies working, paving companies working, um, as well as the downstream. There isn't an industry that is more eco-robust um, than the construction industry. It touches just about every sector along the way, our industry line, accounting, supplies, you know, uh, manufacturing, all of that happens as part of this uh, infrastructure uh, ecosystem. So we are excited about the, being able to make this investment to accelerate it. And it's only going to make Denver's economy even stronger as we come back, because not only will we be able to join everyone else in the recovery uh, with our momentum, um, but we will have some uh, new infrastructure that hopefully others will feel like they can invest around as part of our, our recovery efforts. Wow, that's compelling. Uh, well, let's then think about your impact beyond the city of Denver. And today you serve as the U.S. Conference of Mayors Chair of the Transportation and Communications Committee. How are some of these concepts affecting your thinking about what we should be doing broadly across the country? Well, it gives us an opportunity, Barbara, to amplify the real collective need for uh, investment in the infrastructure around the nation. Again, we have crumbling infrastructure, not only here in Denver, but across the country. And, and we need to modernize our infrastructure. We need to get ready with a 21st century infrastructure uh, to really, I think, improve um, one, the sense of being and the sense of sustainability, as well as to combat climate change in our, in our, in our communities. But we got to recognize that we are losing ground even internationally. Globally, we're losing ground. Our aviation, aviation system is woefully under, um, underprepared and, and, and really not modernized. And so we've got to get ready. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. We're going to talk a lot about our surface infrastructure, about modernizing our transportation system um, so that we can do a lot of things, make people help people become healthier, help move people uh, safe, more safely, but also to help combat climate change. If we can work with the administrations of our nation to invest robust, uh, uh, great robust investment in our infrastructure, I think you'll see this economy, one, get better, recover quicker, but also be more sustainable going forward, while at the same time doing a lot of other things such as combat, uh, combating uh, climate change. We've been talking a lot in this podcast series about how moments of disruption give us the greatest opportunity to shape the future we want. 
And, and what you're talking about here is an equation for driving that future. You're, you're talking about investments in infrastructure that fuel economic resurgence, but at the same time are building in a more sustainable future and, and a more equitable future. That's, that's really exciting to hear about. And, and I know that government can't do this alone, right? That cannot the, do it alone, absolutely. Right, this, this, is about, this is about citizen engagement, but it's also about business engagement. I'd love to hear your thoughts about how companies like mine, like Siemens, can be partners to government and can be part of this vision you have for the future. So there are a couple of things here. There's a lot to unwrap here, but let me just say this. Under the principle of equity, you want to know where poverty exists. I'll show you where the least, I'll show you where poverty exists by showing you where the least amount of mobile mobility options exist. Because if people are stuck in a location, unable to get to jobs, education, healthcare, uh, healthy groceries, um, that's where we have pockets of poverty. And so investing in transit, investing in transportation, mobility, diversity gives, it levels the playing field and it allows us to address equity. The second thing that I think are the undergirding values here is that we got to modernize our system. One of the things we haven't talked about is that we're getting, we're very close to aerial mobility options. And I mean, for me to get from here to my side of town where I live, downtown to my side of town where I live, it won't be long before I'll have aerial options in order to do that. Um, and, and so if you could just imagine that we do not have that infrastructure in place to begin to take care, take advantage of the technology that exists today, um, we, you get the sense that we are at some point are going to have to say, we better get ready. Well, we can start getting ready now without having to feel like we got to be so urgent about it. We cannot do this. It's phenomenally expensive. And yes, public sector cannot do this by itself uh, in either one of these cases. And the ideal of public-private partnerships is going to become much more prominent going forward, particularly when we talk about these infrastructure investments. Uh, local governments, state governments are going to be smarter, more sophisticated about how they engaged in companies like yourself, uh, like Siemens uh, and others, and how we can bring about this infrastructure transformation at a time when resources are severely restricted. And we, quite frankly, I think are beckoning to the line where we can, uh, we can no longer put the burden on just the general public. We got to be smarter about it. And so, yeah, I expect that to happen. And really, we ought to be encouraging it. So you're looking for innovation from the private sector. Absolutely. And I want to pull this thread on aviation because you've mentioned this a couple of times. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious about what you think could be coming in aviation. I think I just heard you say local aerial transit. And I don't know yes. if you know this, but Siemens had innovated an electric motor for aviation and had proven its capability. We've actually since sold that capability to Rolls-Royce so they can bring it into full use in the aviation industry. The idea of a flying car, electric propulsion so that it's quiet and sustainable. Um, right. it's, tell me about the things you're hoping come into being as we upgrade our aviation infrastructure. Yeah, so you know, I, I was not aware of what Siemens had done, but it, it, it goes to the place that I believe, one, that technology exists, and two, it's just a matter of time before we as public officials and our whole uh, uh, economy will be pressured to prepare for that, right? We are, for example, we can move faster, better with electrification in automobiles today, but we are woefully under-resourced um, in terms of dollars and people moving to create greater resources to allow for a broader, you know, broader adoption of electrification of vehicles in our nation. So this is an example of what I'm talking about. 
technology exists. The reality is all you have to do is order a Lyft or Uber uh, and realize as that car pulls up to get you, you get in, someone takes you where you want to be. It won't be long before it's an aerial system where that sucker pulls up, you jump up and it takes you up forward, but you're in the air and we're not prepared for any of that. And so um, as a nation, I sit on a task force that is looking at this and we, we understand the sense we got to get ready for this, folks. We've got to begin to embed that technology in our public infrastructure. We've got to begin to think about how we run a, a, a trans, traffic, traffic system in the air and how we have these systems communicate to keep everyone safe. Um, and so we've got to expedite that. So I really strongly believe that if that's our next generation. At the same time, we've got to continue to improve our, our surface infrastructure. But aviation, I think, is the wave of the future locally, regionally, and globally. Well, Mayor Hancock, this has been incredibly inspiring to hear from you, the many things that are actually doable right now, the, the things that are within our control, the, the things that we've wrapped our hands around in order to address the challenges we're facing. You've painted a picture for changes to come in the future. Give, take us a step further. Tell us what the world looks like if we're successful in the many things that you're working to bring about. Wow, I think you're going to, I, I, Barbara, see a more multimodal, both surface and air transportation system that is not only localized, but regional and global. Um, the, the 16 hours we use to get from Denver to uh, Tokyo, for example, now 12, excuse me, on the, on the Dreamliner, um, I think will be boiled down to literally a matter of an hour or two. Um, based on new technology and, and, and speed and, in, and, and innovations that are occurring. Um, but also, again, I will be able to travel from downtown to the Denver National Airport, which, which are, uh, you know, 32 miles apart from one another, but in a matter of minutes, as a, you know, I'm talking about a couple minutes via air instead of, uh, you know, 27, 30 minutes via transit or road. Um, the reality is we're going to have a multimodal system, surface and air, that's going to move people. And hopefully it will improve our climate, our air that we breathe. Uh, it will improve our safety through proper design and proper uh, traffic controls. And it will make us all more efficient uh, down the road. And that's what we all drive toward. But it, it's not very long, long from now or far from now when we'll experience that. I think that similar to the cell phone that we use every day, uh, we look back and say, what did we do before all this came about? But it came about so fast and so uh, amazingly um, uh, robust that we didn't have time to think about it. And now we look back and say, what did we do before this happened? Uh, we forget about pagers and we forget about stopping at pay phones <laughs> to, to call people back. But life is gonna be different. And I, I give it you know, 15 years at the most before we, we really begin to experience that transformation. Well, Mayor Hancock, I look forward to living in that world with you. I look forward to building that world with you. Thank you so much for your leadership and thank you for joining us on the Optimistic Outlook. Absolutely, always glad to be with you, Barbara. Take care of yourself. Please follow us on social media and on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you for tuning in.